You're listening to a sermon podcast from Agape Baptist Church, recorded live from our Sunday service. Okay, good morning church. Uh, blessed Lunar New Year to all. The scripture reading for today is taken from Lamentations chapter 3, verses 22 to 24. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in him. This is the word of the Lord. Lord bless you, church. I could see all of you this morning. Bless the Lunar New Year indeed. It's very encouraging that on the Lord's Day we're here together to worship the Lord and have fellowship with one another. I'm sure you're here to bless the Lord, and I hope by the grace of the Lord, uh, I will be able to, you'll be blessed in return with this word this morning. Now, a number of years ago, there was a lady who visited, uh, who used to attend our church, who has gone overseas since, and she asked one time, why is it that our church keeps talking about hope? Now, she heard the word many times, hope, 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 hope. And she couldn't understand why, because as far as she knew, hope is a very tentative word. You know, like maybe happen, maybe not, probably not, kind of thing, hope. And so tentative, so uncertain. Now, she didn't know then that biblical hope is actually very different. So we clarified for her, biblical hope is not wishful thinking. It's actually built on certainty. Hope based on God's truths, God's promises. Now, here in Lamentations 3 that you heard just read, we find clarity on how God's people, we, are all meant to hope. And as we go into today's text, we will discover this precious gem of truth that I will repeat throughout the message, which is that biblical hope is ultimately found not in how you see things, but in how you see God. Biblical hope is ultimately found not in how you see things, but in how you see God. Now, Lamentations 3, 22 to 24 is a very familiar passage, but we may be less familiar with the context itself. Now, Jerusalem, back in 586 BC, was attacked by Babylonians and was destroyed. Now, the Jews were taken into exile. Absolute tragedy. Very, very difficult for them. Now, not all suffering in life is punishment for sin. Not all punishment, not all suffering in life is punishment for sin. But in their case, they were very aware that it was because as God's people, they had broken God's covenant with them. And God had actually spelled out the consequences of breaking that covenant. So they knew that. They lamented, they grieved. And Lamentations is actually a series of five such poems from an unnamed but inspired author. Now, very likely it was the prophet Jeremiah. Today's reading brings us to the third poem. And there's a lament. This poet grieved for his whole community. And then surprisingly, in his grief, he found hope. How did he find hope? He found hope not by looking at things differently, but by looking at God correctly. Now, question for us, are we looking at God correctly? Is an important question that we must all answer today. Because if not, you will not experience the hope that God intends for you in your life. Hope is found ultimately not in how you see things, but in how you see God. Now, these three verses are the most hopeful part in the poem, and that was read this morning. 
Now, let me read this for you. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in him. Very hopeful words. Now, I want to emphasize this, right? All these descriptions that you see in the text here, they are timeless qualities. They are all true, whether in the past, present, and future. And they're all interconnected. God's love, God's mercies, God's faithfulness. Interconnected in a very deep way. But as I study this text in preparation for today's word, I find that these qualities, as depicted by the author, lend themselves very well to considerations of God in relation to God in the past, present, and future. So let me encourage you this very day to see God this way to experience biblical hope, the hope that God has secured for us. Three considerations of God for the experience of biblical hope as a believer, right? Number one, God in the past, God's steadfast love for you. Number two, God in the present, God's mercies to you. And number three, God in the future, God's faithfulness to you. So steadfast love, mercies, and faithfulness. And I'll go through them one by one. Now again, I want to stress, all three qualities about God are true in a timeless way. But based on today's text, they're especially meaningful in this temporal sequence. God in the past, present, and future. So number one, God in the past. God's steadfast love for you. The author says that the steadfast love of God never ceases. Now you realize the author doesn't say, like, even though we're, like, we're in exile, we should look at our difficult situations positively and we'll be fine. That's not how we derive hope. He didn't just say that, you know, at least we're still alive, thank God, whatever. Right? He didn't derive hope that way. He doesn't do that. He's not simply looking at things to derive hope. The circumstances in Babylon or the situation in Jerusalem, he's fixing his eyes on God. When he says steadfast love, he's recounting the covenantal love of God, covenantal God of love. He's thinking of the past, the unchanging God who has already revealed himself. This God is a God of steadfast love. In one of my recent cell visits, I shared with the group what I learned from a theologian pastor. That has been very helpful for me in my journey of faith. He said that if you derive your theology from your circumstances, you will necessarily conclude that God doesn't love you. If you derive your theology, your understanding of God, from your circumstances, you will necessarily conclude that God doesn't love you. You don't derive your understanding of God based on your circumstances. The Jew exiled in Babylon would have made the wrong conclusions if he stared merely at his circumstances. For sure, look at all the suffering, look at all the oppression. God doesn't love me anymore. It's not true. Now, if you believe in God, let's say you experience a bankruptcy, you experience a miscarriage, an academic failure, a health crisis, you may lament, and you should actually, what's happening, God? And you may ask this question, is it because you don't love me anymore? And let me say it to you this morning, the answer is a no. The Bible tells us that God has made a covenant with his people, with us as his people. And his love for us never, it never ceases. 
God is love, and he says he loves his redeemed, all who belong to him. You don't need to doubt that. Consider God as he has revealed himself in the historic past, in the redemptive past. Consider what God has done, much like the Jew in exile. In his grief, he remembers his covenantal God. He must have remembered the God who miraculously brought his people out of slavery in Egypt, out of spiritual bondage. He remembers that God is full of steadfast love. That is his unchanging character. Now, circumstances change all the time, all the time. But God never changes. God never changes. And he has promised to love his people. For all of us who believe, he has promised to love you and me. So if you truly believe in God, nothing in your circumstance, nothing in all of creation can ever separate us from the love of God. Absolutely nothing. We can be assured of that. Do you want biblical hope? It's not about how you see things. It's about how you see God. And that's the first consideration of God that you must see this year. God's steadfast love for you. Number two, the second thing, God in the present. God's mercies to you. Now look at how the author describes it. He says, his mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Now the emphasis is on God's mercies in the present. God's mercies are needed. In fact, they are so needed, he doesn't just rehash old mercies for you. He grants new mercies every single morning. Now, God's mercies means various things. It could mean that God withholds a just punishment we deserve. God is merciful. He chooses not to give us what we deserve, including consequences sometimes of our sins. He spares us from that. It also means that he spares us from certain pains and agonies in this fallen world. In the Bible, people in distress often cry out to Jesus, Jesus, have mercy on me. You probably have said that in your life as well. One time a blind beggar did that. He begged for mercy, and Jesus granted him new mercies that very day. He healed him, not just to see physically, but to see spiritually as well. Then there's also a severe mercy. You may recall, Pastor Guna preaching that a few years ago about C.S. Lewis's friends, who were a couple, one of whom died. The husband who remained understood it as a severe mercy, even wrote a book about it. Now, severe mercy is the kind of mercy that even if it results in death, you realize God's mercy even through it. In some cases, it can actually deliver you from idolatry, from a spiritual tragedy even worse than physical death itself. Apostle Paul's case was like that. He was a religious man who was hellbound. Didn't know it because he was super religious. It took a severe mercy from God to blind him, to open his eyes afresh, and humbled him that he was willing even to give up his life thereafter. Now for the Jews exiled in Babylon, God's mercies were all of those. The Jews can wake up in the morning and say, God is merciful. I deserve worse for my sins, but God cared for me. I could have been afflicted far worse, but God spared me. I could have gone so much further into sin, 
that I would lose even my soul. But God took pity on me and in his discipline pulled me back. He rescued my soul. God's mercies are new every morning and is meant to be experienced every single day in the present. Do you realize that when we say that God grants mercies, it actually means that we would have trouble in this world, troubles in this world, in one way or another. If not, we won't need mercies, right? <laughs> we need mercies because there are troubles. And troubles can come because of our own sins or simply because of the brokenness of this world that we live in. God packages new mercies to his children every morning because he knows that we need them. He's not like your friend or neighbor you know, who may be clueless about what you want and then just gives you a meaningless gift that you don't need at all. Like, thanks, but no thanks, I don't need that. God is not like that. His gifts are supremely meaningful. And what does he give every day, every morning? He thinks about it, he gives new mercies every morning. This morning as well, have you received them? Have you thanked God for them? Sometimes people would you know, think in their minds that they're fine, you know, I don't need these new mercies from God, I'm good as they are, you can give them to somebody else, I can do without them. Now, but the truth is this, every single one created in the image of creator God needs it. Now, if you go to work or school, you know, every morning, let's say, and someone along the way as you go, passes you a bottle of water, Every single day you see that same person. Every day near your company or school, wherever you go, and you look at him, you may say, it's okay, I don't need it, I don't need it. But let's say somehow you find yourself in a different situation. You're stuck in the wilderness, in a desert. You'll be without water for a long time. And that same person comes to you with that same bottled water. You would say, thank you very much. This water feels like mercy to me. Now, why is it like that? Is it because you have suddenly developed an entirely new need for water that you never had before? No. You actually had such a profound need for water all along. But you didn't know how much you needed it until you found yourself in the wilderness. The Jews needed God's mercies every day. All along it was like that. But it was only in exile that they came to realize how much they needed God's mercies and to realize they actually need them every single day without fail. One of the things I realized, many of the Christians who open God's word daily, these are people who are those who have suffered much in their lives. You know why is that the case? Because many who have suffered in the wilderness have found God's thirst-quenching mercy in reading his word. Every day, every morning, when they open God's word, they receive God's mercies that they know they need. Mercies that guard their life from sinful temptations. There are so many in this world. Mercies from God's comforting truths that encourage and strengthen them amidst the storms, sorrows, and struggles of life. Do you recognize God's word as mercy like that? In your daily reading, we're encouraging you to do the D.A. Carson for the love of God devotional. 
God's word is life-giving. It is mercy to our souls. We need it every morning. Now, for all of you who believe in God, let me say this with full authority from God this morning. In 2023, this lunar new year of the rabbit, God is going to be merciful to you. This is not the prosperity gospel. I say it because God declares in his word. His authoritative word declares that his mercies for you and me are new every morning for us as believers, including this very morning. Cling on to that. It's a wonderful truth, but you have to receive those mercies, right, as he gives those to you. Now let this consideration of God's mercies fill your heart with hope, hope that can only be found in how you see God. Thirdly, We've looked at God in the past, we've looked at God in the present. Now we're going to look at God in the future. God's faithfulness to you. The, God, the author says to God, great is your faithfulness. It's like worshiping already. Very excited. And of course, God's faithfulness, I, want, I must stress this, is connected to his steadfast love and mercies. As this author is meditating on it, he realizes God is faithful. Praise God. Praise God for that. But... Faithfulness also has a future orientation. God was faithful in the past in keeping his promises to his people, and he won't stop there. He will be faithful to his people into the future. He will be. And that is the right way to see God. God will be faithful to you. Not just past or present, but the future as well. And that fills your heart with hope because your future is in the hands of a faithful God who keeps his promises. Now for the Jews in Babylonian exile, they await restoration. They're not drawing hope from the way they simply see things or analyze things or evaluate things. They draw hope from how they see God as a promise-keeping God who has promised to bring them home back again someday. We must do the same. The Lord has promised that to us too. Now, sometimes people say that in life, there are two groups of people, the pessimist and the optimist. You might find yourself aligned with one group or the other. The pessimist may look at 2023, and then they look at the economy, they look at their own workload, they look at their own challenges, whatever it be, and maybe they conclude, mm, I think this is not gonna be a good year. This is gonna be a bad year, so many problems. The optimists think about 2023, they look at the problems in the world, in their own lives, and they see opportunities. We can innovate, we can adapt, we can solve these problems, we will emerge stronger. Now the optimists will probably tell the, optimist, the pessimists, like, nah, no, you shouldn't think so pessimistically about things, you should think differently, and then you will feel hopeful. See things differently and you will feel hopeful. Now is that true? Would you feel more hopeful when you see things more positively? Oh yes. Is it generally better to be optimistic than pessimistic in the way you see things? I would say yes. But, and here's a super big but, biblical hope is ultimately not found in not how you see things, but in how you see God. Because biblical hope is relational. It's found in a saving relationship with God. 
Apart from God, you cannot have that hope apart from a relationship with Him. From the Word of God, we know that the pessimist does not need to convert to optimism to become hopeful. Optimism alone doesn't bring you salvation any more than good works can bring you to heaven. The optimist who takes pride in his positive attitude is arguably like the Pharisee who takes pride in his external righteousness. Now like the older son in the parable of the prodigal son in Luke 15, he may say to the younger son, brother, look at the way I do things. Look at the way I see things. You're doing things wrongly, right? You're de denying and defying the father and all of that. You should see things, do things like me. See things the way I do and all will be well, you'll be fine. Now, but that's not what God has in mind. God the Father invites both the pessimist and the optimist of this world to come home to Him. Are you pessimistically prone to worry? Come home to God and find new peace. Are you optimistically prone to self-confidence? Come home to God and find a new source of confidence. This day, God says, Stop fixing your eyes on the things of this world. Your resources, your own talents, your abilities, or lack of them. And look at me. That's what God's saying. Look to your faithful God, your faithful Father who promises good to His people. That's the true source of hope for both the pessimist and the optimist of this world. Do you see God today, people? Do you see God? If you do, you have hope, everlasting hope. If not, whatever temporal hope you have, however bright and dazzling on this earth, will come to a sorry end one day. No hope on earth below can overcome the grave except hope in a God of heaven above. Now in verse 24, the author takes this consideration, these three considerations, God's steadfast love, his mercies, and his faithfulness, and he makes a decision. He makes a decision. It's not automatic, you know, just because you know God is all these things, it's not automatic. The truths are there. He's reflecting on them, but he needs to decide. You need to decide. And in his laments, when he decides, the darkness of the night gives way to the dawn of new daylight. He decides within his soul to elevate God above all. And that's why he says this, the Lord is my portion. He decides that. And then he concludes, therefore I will hope in him. Praise God. Now notice he speaks like a Levite or a priest whose special inheritance was the Lord himself. The Lord is my portion, the Lord is my inheritance. But the truth is that this is not just for the Levite or priest. This has always been God's spiritual plan for all his redeemed people, for them to truly become a royal priesthood, to become his holy nation. As we've heard in the, the ankle series thus far from Pastor Nan, it's a reality. A royal priesthood who would declare, the Lord is my portion. In the New Testament, this is a picture for all of us since the first century to now. All of us Christians who believe in Jesus. We are part of that royal priesthood. 
who declare that the Lord is my portion. The Lord Jesus Christ is my inheritance. And if you decide on that, you embrace that, then you can truly hope in Him. Your soul can truly say, I will hope in Him. I will hope in Jesus. Now, three applications for us today as we close. First thing, hope in the Lord Jesus regarding the biggest problem on your mind for your own life this year. Hope in the Lord Jesus regarding the biggest problem on your mind for your own life this year. Now, as you look at these words, do you have a problem like that? Weighing on your mind, maybe you've been bringing before God in prayer. What is that problem? Now, if you believe in Jesus, recognize that He has made an everlasting covenant with you. Now, that means He is committed to love you, to carry you through your problems on earth, however big the problem. Behold, the steadfast love of God. <laughs> Some of you may remember this advertisement, the Energizer Bunny. The steadfast love of God is like an Energizer Bunny. It keeps on going, never ceases. All human problems on earth will all fade away one day. Ask all the people who have already died. All problems will fade away one day as you approach your final breath. But the steadfast love of Jesus Christ never ends. And my younger son just turned 10 last Sunday. 10, I told him. Two digits already. Wow, Kayang. <laughs> Finally, welcome to the club. Two digits. And so I told him on his birthday, you know, Kayang, if you live till 80 by, the, by God's grace, you've got 70 years left. Not much time. Live wisely. Papa nearly went home. Praise God. I don't know how much time we have. Let's live for God. That's how it should be, right? We don't know how much we have. We live for God. Christians have an eternal hope because we know God loves us. Now, how do you want to live your short time here on earth? I tell you, live a life of hope in God. <laughs> That's the way to live. Don't live a life of hopelessness. Hopefulness in God. I want you to notice, no matter how many years you have as a believer in Christ Jesus, the steadfast love of God always wins in the marathon of life. Always. Whether in Tokyo, Berlin, New York, Singapore, to the ends of the earth, the steadfast love of God always wins. It has a perfect track record of finishing well for all of God's people. Always. Praise God for that. God's love will outrun all your problems right into eternity. Signed and confirmed with the blood of Jesus Christ in His covenant with you. So you can hope in Christ in the midst of all your problems. Number two, application, hope in the Lord Jesus regarding the salvation of your loved ones and friends this year. Salvation belongs to the Lord Jesus Christ. The fact that you're a believer is because Christ has had mercy on you. Our Savior who died on the cross, who experienced the exile we deserve, that we may be received by the Lord, by God Himself. He paid for our sins. We sang that this morning. So pray for His mercy for your loved ones and friends too. You know, Jesus said this about salvation one time. You might have read it this week. With man, it is impossible. Super pessimistic. But with God, all things are possible, super optimistic. Now you can say in a sense, hope in God is rightly pessimistic and rightly optimistic at the same time. 
give to pessimism where pessimism is due, and give to optimism where optimism is due. Trust in the Lord, hope in the Lord for your loved ones and friends' salvation. That your loved ones and friends cannot save themselves. You've got to recognize that. But you must acknowledge this. Jesus Christ can. And because he desires none to perish, that's what the Bible says, we can hope in that. We know it delights him for us to hope in it and pray for it, that our loved ones and friends can all come to faith. It accords with his revealed will. That's why we hope this way. And with his Holy Spirit in you, go out, share your testimonies, share the gospel. You have a chance this coming week. Spiritual conversations come out or you intentionally do that. When you insert that conversation in, don't miss it. Those are precious people to you. Precious people to you. Think about it. Care for them. Love them. Give, shower God's mercies on them by sharing the gospel. And lastly, hope in the Lord Jesus for your own spiritual growth as a Christian this year. Do you ever hope for this, my dear brothers and sisters? Do you ever hope for this? Your own growth? You should. During Ezra and Nehemiah's time, a spiritual revival took place upon the reading of God's word. That can take place in Agape too. Corporately and individually as well. So if you know that you are far away from God, rekindle your hope, your faith in Him. Surrender your life to Him. If your faith has stagnated in 2022, let it not be in 2023. Draw close to God. Seek God's forgiveness and look to Him in hopeful faith this year that you'll grow as a believer, as a saint, as a priest of God this year. Declare in your spirit, Lord Jesus, you are my portion. I trust you. I know that you have overcome the grave and you will return again one day. From now till then, you have given me power for transformation. I receive this power and I trust you to be faithful, to change me, to renew me for your glory. These are the three applications for us as we take home today's message. Now, brothers and sisters, I want to stress this again. Biblical hope is ultimately found not in how you see things, but in how you see God. How you see the Lord Jesus Christ who loves you, who showers his mercies on you, and is forever faithful to you. So behold him and hope in him. And for us, it's not just the Lunar New Year of the rabbit. For us as believers since Christ came and we're awaiting his return, it's the year of the Lord's favor. So have a blessed new year indeed as we receive this beautiful gift of hope. Blessed new year to every single one of you. Let's pray. Gracious Father in heaven, we are thankful for your word. Even as we look at how the author laments and grieves, O oh Lord, and today we were looking at a hopeful portion. We're thankful for your reminder that biblical hope is found in you and you alone. And as we meditate on your character, help us indeed, O oh Lord, every single one of us in this church community to find that hope. If there's anyone here who is far from you who do not know you, we pray that they can say, come to saving faith as well. Now bless us, O Lord, bless your church, Agape Baptist Church, as we arise as your people, God, to live a new year fix, fixing our eyes on you. May we cast away hopelessness, O God, but look to you in hope 
For you are God who's loving. You are God who's merciful. Your mercy is on you every day. And you are God who is forever faithful. When you return for us, O Lord Jesus, may you find us faithful too. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon podcast. You can find more of our sermons online on our website at www.agape.org.sg.